And uh, we are knee-deep, maybe ankle-deep, in the middle of a series that we began a couple of episodes back, Erica, trying to take a look at uh, words of Jesus that are collectively uh, remembered as the Lord's Prayer, right? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, catch us up to speed. What, what are we talking about? Where have we been so far? So, so far we've made it to heaven. <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> we've gotten as far as our Father, who art in heaven. Um, and so, but... In, and that's taken us a couple episodes, and so this week we're going to be um, jumping to the next phrase. It's in the traditional King Jamesy um, language that we often hear this prayer, and we're going to be hitting uh, the "Hallowed be Thy name," and we're going to be talking what that exactly means. But Steve, can we bring that into like modern English? Sure, that that seems appropriate, and maybe this is a time for us to say too. We might we may have said this uh, back last week too that. Jesus doesn't talk in Elizabethan English, not only because he didn't speak English, it certainly wasn't Elizabethan English of the, 17th, of the 16th or 17th century, and the kind of Greek that the New Testament is written in is the sort of sloppy slangy Greek called Koine Greek that was already sort of hybridized and a hodgepodge as Greek took in influence mm -hmm. of other languages around it, so it's not even the fancy pants high classical Greek of Homer or Plato. Uh, and on top of that, Jesus didn't speak any of those. Jesus speak Aramaic, <laughs> which is kind of the sloppy Hebrew. They Hebrew, it's got Hebrew influences, but it's picked up other languages as well. And there is no sense of this being highfalutin fancy pants. This is sort of the common, ordinary language mm -hmm. uh, of, certainly of Jesus' people in his day, Aramaic. And, and that the words that we call the Lord's Prayer... Um, to be true to spirit, sort of have to carry some of that sense of the, the commonness of language. And mm -hmm. Jesus isn't saying we have to have some kind of uh, fancy polished language in order to talk to God. So when we say, hallowed be thy name, what we're saying in human English of the 21st <laughs> century uh, is something like, may your name be holy. We, we were, mm -hmm. Before we started recording, we looked at a, uh, an official interlinary, uh, interlinear uh, Bible's translation of it, which sort of takes the, the Greek and, and parses it down very, very uh, literally in English. And one, one translator's <laughs> attempt of uh, this phrase is, let your name be holy eyes. <laughs> um, and I kind of wish we had the verb in English, holy eyes. Um, but anyway, the idea is Jesus saying, to God, to this one who called our Father, Abba, you know, uh, may your name or let your name be holy, right? So that's yes. the, the gist of the sentence. But now that we've translated it into modern English, we're, we're still at the, well, okay, what does that mean? I mean, it, yeah. what, what does it mean to say God's name is or could be or should be holy? And why do we need to ask for it? Well, maybe we need to define holy and okay. what that is. Okay. Um, and oftentimes, I personally, I, I have heard holiness um, being taught as something other something okay. kind of outside god is god is other than us yeah um and a lot of times and that gets this idea that you know god can't be in the presence of sin okay. uh, because god is holy and we are not we are sinful people and so god can't be in our presence but then we see jesus who is fully god and yeah. fully human then hanging around with sinners on a regular basis by by deliberate choice right yeah, by the, choice the, the people who are the most uh, readily labeled as, you know, unacceptable, sinners, outcasts, whatever, Jesus makes a point of hanging out mm -hmm. with us. And, again, 
at the at the center of the Christian faith is this rather significant and kind of scandalous notion that where Jesus is, God is. Right? I mean, yes. you, you could say, mm-hmm. obviously, in a general sense, Christians and maybe theists of almost any stripe would say, God's everywhere in the whole universe. Yeah. Uh, and even more so, where God sort of raises the divine flag, so to speak, and puts his hand up, so to speak, is that wherever Jesus is, there mm-hmm. God is. So whatever we mean by holiness has to be seen in light of Jesus, right? There, yes. there, there, there's mm-hmm. no, there's no definition of holy apart from Jesus, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that whatever it is, um, if our picture of holiness doesn't fit with how Jesus acts, we got to do some revising on our definition of holiness. Not saying Jesus, would you act more like a jerk? <laughs> would you, <laughs> yes. would you please run away from those sinful people because our definition of holiness requires? It. And maybe this, this is an important point to say because you're right. You're on. You, you've helpfully said a lot of times the conversation about holiness starts in this kind of abstract. God is other, God is different, God is distinct. The 20th century uh, theologian Karl Barth said God is wholly other, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and like entirely, completely mm-hmm. other, different from us. And even before you get into conversations about sins and rule-breaking, even an infinite divine being and this finite well, you know, universe of space and time, there's an infinite distinction there. So even before we get around to breaking rules, there's already God is completely other and holy mm-hmm. in that regard. It's just like a, like a mystical sort of a kind of a sense. Um, and then on top of that, we add the way that we human beings break rules and, and don't do what God's will is and harm one another, and that God isn't that either. God doesn't, you know, God doesn't kick puppies. God doesn't, you know, envy. God, I mean, the, so all that's a part of God's holiness too. But the danger is following that train of thought right off the cliff and saying, ah, well, therefore, if being holy is like being other, being distinct, being separate, that must be being separated or segregated from anything that is different in any way, and God must not be able to be around that kind of stuff. Well, then you're sort of back to that sort of deist universe of God as the cosmic clockmaker who winds it all up, and then when it turns out to disappoint him, goes away, because, oh, I can't can't deal with that. Mm what what are the downsides, or what 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 does that end up doing to our picture of God? If we picture God's holiness being, oh, I can't be around sin or wicked people or sinful people because you, that's I, I can't be there. What, what does that end up doing to our picture of God? Well, I mean, it just it creates a separation between God and us that, okay. that is not there. Yeah, and that we don't ever find in Scripture because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. even um, even after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, you know, obviously be- before they eat of the apple of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They are perfect and they are holy like God is holy. Um, but even after they sin, you know, God comes and he finds them in the garden. Right. And he continues to have this conversation with right. them, continues to have this relationship with them. So when we say that, you know, God is so holy that he can't be around sin, then we put the separation that's between us. The, the, it, it's like we've made it that God walked away when really we're the ones who keep walking yes. away. Maybe, yes. maybe that's it. That we, you know, if we could have a, a separate conversation about what sin is like, maybe this is a note for a future conversation. That Yeah, they're, they're in that story in the garden in Genesis 3. Uh, Adam does go and run and hide. And he starts, he think, he does the best he can to try and hide himself and leaves. And uh, you know, God says, where are you? Not because God doesn't know. But in mm-hmm. the same way I ask my kids when I know exactly because I hear the giggling coming from behind the cupboard. Where are you? And I know exactly where they are. Um, but that Adam's one who that, that sin causes a separation. But it's not like God's allergic to sin. It's not like God goes, oh, I can't be around, the, you know, oh, no, I've got a raisin allergy. No, I can't be around, you know, or, or that God's like, you know, that, that person who gets freaked out by spiders. Oh, I can't touch it. Oh, no, yuck, a cobweb. But that God doesn't walk away. It's, 
human beings, you're like, oh man, I, we've messed up and we don't want anybody to find out, so let's go hide. And that's mm-hmm. constantly how the story's going. Yeah. The bridge gets burnt sometimes, but we're the ones burning the bridge, and God's the one saying, I haven't burned it from my side. Look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be the one who rebuilds mm-hmm. it from my side over and over and over and over again. So whatever holiness is, it's not a weakness on God's part. I and mean, sometimes yeah. you almost hear it described that way. Oh, God can't tolerate being in... Well, no. God, God, it turns out, has a very high tolerance level for our being stupid because we're really good at being stupid. Um, it's not that God runs away screaming, ooh, yuck, a, a no. sinner. Um, but that sin has this way of making us run away or hide or turn our, our cross our arms and turn away. Uh, so there, there's certainly a sense of estrangement, maybe, but it's not. It's not that God has said, "Oh, I know, and I refuse to work with you anymore." Yeah. Um, so whatever holiness is, it's not that God's got an allergy. Okay, then may, maybe are, are there other things we need to say about what what holiness is instead of just what it isn't? Holiness is. Um... I mean, Jesus seems to think it's something that God's name ought to be. Yeah. Jesus, mean, Jesus yeah. isn't indifferent on the subject. What, what what does it even mean to say? Well, I mean it. I think that comes, you know, from the Old Testament teaching that, um, and remind me which commandment it is, Steve, because I can't, I can't keep them in order. Depends on how you number them. <laughs> that, that goes back to a translation thing. It really does depend on how you number them. But we're talking about an early, an early commandment, uh, uh, probably number three, if we're talking about not to take God's name in vain or to misuse God's name. Yeah, I mean, there, there's this idea from the very beginning of, of Judaism and in the Hebrew people, when when God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, that um, you know His name is to to be holy. Um, the, the, you're, you're thinking of uh, in, in uh, the first giving of the Ten Commandments yeah. comes in Exodus twenty, and uh, it it's arguably the the third commandment. But again, depending on how what tradition you come from, sometimes they get numbered differently. But we're talking uh, somewhere around clocking it at number three. And the NRSV translates it, You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. <laughs> um, but the, the, the notion of God's name being treated with a certain regard and respect, and that seems to be the important piece yes. here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, too, that the commandment is sort of focused on the name or identity of God, and that's, that's what comes back in what we call the Lord's Prayer, too. Hallowed be thy name, holy be your name. Um, that the name by which we call God is somehow important because there's a reputation caught up mm-hmm. with that, right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, when it talks about not making wrongful use of God's name, um, that has as much to do with what things we do or say thinking that we are speaking for God or claiming God's mm-hmm. authority for as much as it does with, uh, you know, potty talk or, or gross or coarse speech or something mm-hmm. like that. I think for a lot of my life, I heard this commandment about, you know, not, not taking the Lord's name in vain got translated to don't swear. And originally swearing meant to invoke God's name in an oath. So don't yeah. do that wrongly or lightly or casually. But to my ears growing up, don't swear became equated with don't say, you know, here's a list of ten words you're not allowed to say mm-hmm. because they're, you know, uh, obscene or they're profane or they're gross or something like that. And there's a reason maybe not to, to uh, use coarse language and to know your audience, know the room of people you're with. Um, and uh, that there, there's a place for that conversation. But that's not what the commandment is really about. No. And it's also then not what really what Jesus is all about here. Jesus isn't saying, dear God, we promise not to swear. Now we'll move on to your <laughs> kingdom come. Um, but to say God's name is to be treated in a way that's holy or not to make wrongful use has something to do with what things we claim on God's behalf 
um, that God won't own. That God's a no, 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 this isn't me here, folks. Don't, don't get my name into this, right? Are there times you run into where you get uh, upset even yourself or where you catch, like, this seems like an inappropriate claim of God's name or use of God's name? Um, one of the biggest ones for me is, maybe it's not so much the use of God's name, but just the, the idea of using God kind of as a scapegoat for things. Okay, sort of invoking God for stuff that God has not chosen to be on the hook for. Yes. <laughs> And, and it comes when, um, mostly at funerals. Okay. So often in times of tragedy of sorrow. Okay. <laughs> times of tragedy of sorrow when someone says, you know, especially like when a younger person dies, when a child or somebody, mm-hmm. a teen dies and says, well, God need another angel or this right. was all in God's plan. Right. right, um, right. Those kind of things. You know, the holiness of God's name means that we, we, we respect God, that we yeah. respect his name. We respect what he, what we can and cannot claim that he is in charge of what yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. And so and often when people say those kind of things, I'm like, no, that is <laughs> that is not God's plan. God did right. not take this person. Right. That was not part of His will. That's just because we live in a sinful world. Right, right. And and that I mean that's an important thing that any time I mean, to, to 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 give the benefit of the doubt. Any time I've heard somebody say something like God needed another angel, and that's why they took your you know your grandmother, your auntie, your cousin, or your dog, or whatever, uh, nobody's trying to be mean or wicked or trying to be uh, bad or to badmouth God, but there's something like insidious and important that happens there. One, it's sort of like claiming that I know I'm, I have authority on such things. I happen to know there's an angel shortage, and the way God makes angels is God kills people. No. I mean, like, yeah. there's, for, for all the good intentions, there, there's a lot of bad theology mm-hmm. in there. One, that humans get made into angels. Two, that when God is running an angel shortage, God says, oh, I don't know, I'll just stick some wings on this person, I'll zap them so they'll die. I mean, like, what, what on earth can that, can we, I mean, if we, would, if we would think for a moment, and again, I, I get it, probably... With well-intentioned, uh, uh, good meaning in my heart, I've said thoughtless things too in times of grief mm-hmm. because in moments like that, we're straining, we're reaching for something to say when somebody's heart is broken and it feels yep. like the world is coming apart for them. And we reach for basically religious cliches that somewhere we saw on a plaque somewhere or an email forward or a Facebook post uh, and thought, yeah, that's what I'll say. And don't even think about what it is we're actually saying. And for that matter, I mean, like, even even if it were true that God was in the business of killing people to make new angels, which, just to be clear, no, this is not how yeah, no. Even if that were the case, if somebody, if someone is, is deep, deep in grief and their heart is broken because they miss someone who they deeply love, if all I can say to them is God need an angel, that's basically me saying, you're not as important to God is as the angel shortage up in heaven, so buck up because God thinks someone else, this, this angel shortage is more important than your sorrow. Mm-hmm. Wait a second here, that, that actually is the opposite of, of what we need to do when you're even trying to comfort people. But all that assumes a certain authority to speak things about God or in God's mm-hmm. name. That like, Where did anybody get this idea from, right? Yeah. Um, and maybe a part of what it is to treat God's name with holiness um, and to not misuse it is to not go around claiming things about God or God's prerogatives that we don't have on good authority. <laughs> um, and, and similarly, I mean, sometimes it's the, the, the funeral situation that can be uh, devastating or harmful enough mm-hmm. to somebody. Sometimes it's um, that that sort of insidious, maybe uniquely American heresy we call the, the <laughs> prosperity gospel. That sort of a if you pray hard enough or give enough money to this preacher, you'll get uh, more mm-hmm. money or a bigger salary that promotion. And that invokes God. It's sort of well, you know, give to my ministry and or just pray these words, pray this right mm-hmm. prayer, and watch how God rewards you with greater health and wealth and kids and whatever. Um, and again. 
that's not what we get if we read the scriptures on the whole. We, get, we don't get the sense that it's this magic form that God is a genie. And to treat God as though God is basically a divine vending machine is to misuse to misuse God's name, right? Oh, absolutely. So it, it seems like some of that's what's going on in the commandment. And mm-hmm. some of that has to be going on then as Jesus talked about God's name being holy, if there's a sense in which God is to be separate or distinct, it's that God's, God should be kept out of that kind of conversation. God, yeah. God is meant to be uh, separate from our sort of crass, you know, money-making or, or uh, self-interested sort of uh, schemes, and that God is separate and set apart and distinct from all that. And, and like you said at the beginning, rightly so, God remains holy, other, and way beyond us, but other in a way that can also be, you know, within us and among us and right next mm-hmm. to us, too. And we talked last time about heaven not being, like, geographically distant. That, you know, we have to travel so many million miles to get there. Mm-hmm. But somehow is beyond us and yet also, you know, flowing through us right now or right in our midst. Something like that is how God's holiness has to be thought of, too, maybe. That God is absolutely way beyond us and holy mm-hmm. in that regard. And at the very same time, God can be closer to me than I am to myself. And if I'm a rotten sinner, <laughs> then that means God's closer to sinners. And even I, I can stand or tolerate. And in Scripture, um, both in the Old and New Testaments, we see the pretty much the exact same words, be holy as, as God is holy. Uh-huh. And then Jesus, you know, saying in another part, I believe in Matthew's Gospel, be perfect as your Heavenly yeah. Father is perfect. And here's the kicker for me. Here's the kicker about that. For uh, I'm, I'm ashamed that it took me... 30 plus years to recognize the placement of those words. Because, again, for a lot of my life, I knew those words and mm-hmm. didn't know the context. But be perfect as your Father in Heaven is perfect, be holy as God is holy, comes right after God's love for enemies. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the, mm-hmm. the passage goes, um, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than those? Don't even Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So in the same conversation, that backing up even a couple of earlier verses, Jesus saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be like children of your, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Like, that's what the context of what holiness or perfect looks like Mm -hmm. for Jesus. That's radical. Because again, for so much, at least in my life, I I don't don't know how many other people have been in this boat, but for whatever reason, I picked up this sense that to be holy like God is holy is basically to be sort of like hands off and sterile, like, no, I can't abide by being by any wicked people. Oh no, you can't be Mm -hmm. because God is holy, so I must be separate and different. No, I can't hang around you because... And like, no, that's not what Jesus has in mind. The, The train of thought that leads Jesus to say, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, is... Love recklessly. Love stinkers. Hang out with them in order to love them and love the people who are doing you wrong. I mean, like, that's, that, that is a, a rather other, different, holy, set-apart way of thinking and acting compared to the world. But it's right up in the midst of that world that's messy and sinful and broken. Mm-hmm. That, that, I think, is a really critical thing. That If we're going to take Jesus' word seriously about how God is holy, what God's holiness or perfection means... It has a lot more to do with God's capacity to love even God's enemies, or to love sinners, or to be present with the the, the brokenhearted and the messy and the mm-hmm. screw-ups and all that. Um, that that's close to what God's holiness looks like. Again, that's going to put a whole different cast on how we hear the whole rest of this prayer. And anytime we use the word holy, Jesus sort of says, hey, don't just picture sort of you know angels up in heaven, mm-hmm. uh, but picture right here in the nitty-gritty a God who sends 
sun and rain on everybody. The, the farmers uh, who are good, well-behaved churchgoers and the farmers who are rotten thinkers, God's generous and gracious to them, and all the rest of us too. Now, like that, that, that's where Jesus locates God's holiness, not in God being distant or far away or I can't be around you. That, that I think, is maybe the, the important corrective then as we talk about what it means that God's name is holy. But... Okay, we, we, we sort of danced around. We've talked about every other word in this phrase except for the, the let it be part. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a piece that, that's difficult even as an idea to bring into English. So Jesus says, holy be your name or hallowed be thy name. And it's weird because it's, it's like a command. It's commanding something or wishing something mm-hmm. to be. But nobody gets the boss God around and nobody gets to say, do this, do that. Not even, you know, Jesus the Son. Um, it's it, it's, a, it's a, a structure in English we don't use very often or don't pay attention to. Because most of the time, if we're giving a command to somebody, I'm telling someone directly, you go do this, do that. Mm-hmm. I tell my kids, make your bed. And they either do or don't make their bed. But I've commanded them directly. But it's almost like Jesus is saying the equivalent of, may your bed be made, or let your bed be made. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's like a weird third person sort of a thing. It's kind of like the closest I can think of in, in other church language is... Um, when we um, give the blessing at the end of our worship service, or when I bless my kids at, at night at bedtime, we use those ancient words that are sometimes called the ironic benediction, not ironic. <laughs> An <laughs> ironic benediction would be, yeah, be blessed, see if I care. There you go. Ironic um, going back to Aaron, and the words go, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord's face mm-hmm. shine on you and be gracious to you, the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. And it's 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 not a command because I don't have the power to boss God around and say God bless. But it's sort of like this. It's it's like may it's may God bless you. But it's even stronger than that too because mm-hmm. may still kind of has like this sort of you know sort of wussy. If wussy, God's yeah, up to it, like, yeah, like well, yeah, if he feels like it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's something stronger. Mm-hmm. And again. I, I, I am failing some grammar teacher from back in high school. I, I wish I had better words to describe like that, but that's what's going on. It's a command, but it's not a second person. I'm telling you to do this, but it's your name be holy. Your name be holy, God. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's a sort of like the, a third person command is what's going on, and Jesus has that kind of sense. There's force behind it. Let your name be holy, um, but it's not. It's not like a, a an order or a command to God. Perhaps, Steve, is it a reminder then for us who are the ones that are doing the the praying, that this is something that we need to be actively doing oh. in our everyday life. Well, you're, so rather than saying, you know, God, your name be holy. Get on this, God. What are you doing about making your name holy? Well, God's name already is holy. Right. It's, that's taken care of. But it's a reminder to us that, oh, yeah, God's name is holy. Yeah. And yeah. we need to remember that. We need to behave that way. We need yeah. to speak that way. We need to not be saying things like, you know, all oh, God need another angel, or if you pray these, you know, or as, us as pastors, you know, well, if you just give us enough money, or you know, our church is enough money, or you pray these, vote, yeah, if you yeah. pray these right words, you're gonna get, you yeah. know, your Mercedes Benz or your Jaguar car or whatever it is that you've been wanting for years. Yeah, and I think I think you're on the right track here, and and um, and I mean this is the highest possible compliment. You're starting to sound like Martin Luther to me, because um, uh, our older Crap. brother. <laughs> <laughs> I was like our, Wesley, not our Martin. older brother in the faith, Martin Luther. When he, he talks about the, what we call the Lord's Prayer in uh, one of his writings, in the, the large and the small catechism, and he, he asks the question, "What does it mean to make God's name holy?" And he, Luther goes on to say. God's name is already holy, whether anybody prays for it or not. So let's, let's disabuse ourselves of the notion that God's sitting up there in heaven like AOL, like some like uh, public television telethon saying, we've got to reach our goal. If enough people pray, then God's name will be holy. No, God's name already is holy. God is holy. God is beyond mm-hmm. and other and all that. Um, 
And the question then is whether we will regard or whether we will be a part of regarding God's name as holy in, in our midst mm -hmm. as well. So Luther will say something like, and this sort of sets the tone for where Luther wants to see or sees the, the, the prayer going later on too. He'll say, God's name is already holy, but in, this, in these words we're asking that God's name be regarded as holy among us. We're praying for it as mm -hmm. well. So that it's sort of a God, you already are holy. Could you work in such a way that people could see that and get that through me and through what they mm -hmm. see and hear in me as mm -hmm. well? Because we are prone to that sort of, ah, here's what I think. I'm going to sort of baptize that with God's name. Yep, God. No, we, we are prone to misuse God's name or to speak out of turn. And so this is this this idea of hallowed be your name. While it's aimed at God in a sense, it also has that feel of it's not it's not like we're saying God, you get to work on that making your name holy business. You know, I'd like to see a status report in two weeks, see how you've gotten on this. It's it's more like you already are holy God. Um, may we who seek to be people people who name your name reflect that. So then people look at our lives, they go. Uh, I, I get who this God is, and that God who is perfect who they worship, that God is perfect in love even of enemies, that, that they would see that in the way we are blessedly out of touch, that, that holiness is sort of an intentional out of step, willingness to mm -hmm. be out of step, willingness to be weird and different, and there's that kind of sense of holy, that holy can be uh, weird to the, out, the outside watching world, or holy can be, that, that looks different, you stand out from the crowd, that sort of, you know, not being conformed to this world, but, mm -hmm. but being transformed, that, that's holiness, but it's not a, it's certainly not a holier than thou, I'm better than you, but more like, I'm willing to be weird, I'm willing to get made fun of, I'm willing to look weird or odd or different, and that's part of how I practice what holiness looks like. Which sounds a lot like, we, you know, what we just said a few minutes ago about that being perfect is your Heavenly Father is perfect, that comes just a few verses before this prayer in Matthew. Right. You know, to love your enemies is to be a little odd yeah. and to be a little different. Yeah. That's not what the world says. The world says to hate your enemies. Right. And that's, I think you've exactly hit the nail on the head, that holiness still has a sense of being distinct or separate or different, but it's not a distinct like, ooh, I can't touch you because you'll get me sick or something, but mm -hmm. it's a holiness that's like, I'm willing to be right up in the midst and different and to stand out and be, to be different. That, that's, I think, what holiness is all about both in how we practice and live and also in how we pray, God, make me to be that kind of person who stands out. Uh, and there's, there's a line that comes to my mind of um, the old uh, Catholic bishop, Emmanuel Cardinal Suhart, who says, to be a witness is to live your life in such a way that it wouldn't make sense if God didn't exist. Like that people look at your life and go, the only way that kind of life makes any sense is if God is real. I mean, that we'd be people of a particular kind of compassion that won't necessarily pay off in this life. And people who are being uh, kind to other people who will never reward us, you know, that like, if all you're living for is, uh, there's no God out there, I've got to look out for myself, your life will look different than if you're someone who's capable of loving enemies and capable of putting other people first. Not because you, um, you're, you're looking for some angle of how I get something for this, but because that's how God is holy. Yeah, the holiness that God calls us to is not to be a hermit somewhere off in the desert. Right. right. That's a different type of holiness, and that's... Right. It's honestly a lot easier holiness in, in many ways because you're not interacting with yeah. other people. It's just you and God, yeah. and it's real easy to be holy when you're by yourself. And I think, I recall some snippet from one of the Desert Fathers, the actual guys who did go out in the desert to be mm -hmm. hermits. The, the rule was when someone came out to them and wanted to live that way of life and be a monastic with them out as a, like some uh, lone hermit in the desert, their rule of thumb came to be, don't come out into the desert if it's your way of getting away from other people. But if this becomes your way of being more in touch with other people, that somehow you, with clarity, can pray for the needs of other people or attend to the needs of other people, mm -hmm. but don't let it be your one way of running away. It, it, going to the desert has to be that way of clarity so that then you can be 
more able to love your neighbor more fully, even if for a while your neighbors are you know moving by miles in desert and sand and mountains and rocks. But mm-hmm. that even even that withdrawing is never an end goal by itself, but it's always meant to be instrumental toward bringing you back into our love of neighbor. And maybe it's that same church father that might have influenced um, my older brother in the faith. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm he's, a, he's mine too. He's just, you know, once or twice a <laughs> Mr. Wesley, um, who who talked about holiness, um, that we can't have holiness outside of social holiness. Yeah, yeah. You know, holiness can't exist unless it involves other people. Right. And that's important too, because sometimes we get the idea, especially when we start using the H word holy, we end up doing this individualistic move again. We talk at mm-hmm. the very, very beginning of this series, and we talk about that it's not my Father in heaven, like God is my personal possession, but our forces me outside of the individualistic box of God, you're my personal possession, and it's just me and you, and as long as I follow your rules, I get your prizes. But that holiness has that same corporate mm-hmm. sense too, and that holiness is not just if I'm good enough or I abstain from enough stuff. If I, if I, um, you know, live, you know, sort of withdrawn from anything, so I don't accidentally touch anything sinful or, uh, or mm-hmm. you know, yucky or something, then I'll get the heaven prize. That was never what it was about. That that holiness is not about God doling out prizes to the people with the cleanest hands, <laughs> um, but that holiness has exactly to do with that kind of love that brings us right back into the midst of each other and has everything to do with. Yeah, social holiness, how we are in relationship to mm-hmm. each other, too. Okay. Right. I was going to say, that, that, that helps us, hopefully, to recover the word holy from the, the stigma we almost always anymore hear. Holy people automatically jump to being holier mm-hmm. than thou. Mm-hmm. Um, and that attitude of, like, that holy equals I'm better than you. Um, and that's not even it either. It's, it's, not, a, it's not even about a better. It's, it's a, maybe a, I'm willing to be used for God's purposes. I'm willing to be weird for God's purposes. I'm willing to let that... Um, teach me to love in ways that are counterintuitive or run against the grain of how the rest of the world around me is acting or speaking. So Steve, this, this kind of goes a little bit off. It's the idea of holiness, but um, you know, as, as we think about this idea of holy be your name, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of some Hebraic prayers that I learned when I was in seminary. Oh, sure. It's the beginning of them. Uh, they go, Baruch Atah Adonai, and then it goes on. Eloheinu, uh-huh. um, and I forget. Elohim. Thank you, because I forget my Hebrew. Sorry, Jason, and Doctor Cook, uh, <laughs> Doctor Stone. But you know those, those prayers when you translate them into English is "Blessed are you, O Lord, our God." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, it, I think it's the same idea. It's not only is this part of the prayer a call for us um, to be holy, like God is holy, and, and but again. For us to to bless God's name and to speak well of God, mm-hmm. um, because sometimes you know life gets rough, sometimes life gets hard, and and we don't want to speak kindly of God <laughs> sure, anymore. Sure, um, but this is a reminder that you know what, even in the hardest times of life, that God is still good and God is still worthy of being sure. called holy. God is still worthy of being called upon. Sure. For our needs during our times of difficulty. Sure, it reminds me of um, early on in the story of Job. Uh, it, the the main character, uh, Job's life has fallen apart. He has lost his family. He's lost his fortune. And his wife's helpful marital advice to Job <laughs> is, "Things have fallen apart. Just curse God, God and die." Mm-hmm. And Job's response goes something like, "God gave me, and God can take away. Blessed be the name of God." Um, and there's this sense of, uh, even when things aren't going my way, that God is still holy. And that, that, I mean, that's, that's an important reminder, that, that holiness isn't the same as 
God's doing things that I like, therefore I'll cheer. I mean, this is part of what reminds us that being mm-hmm. part of the people of God is not the same as being fair weather fans. It's easy to root for a team when they're winning. It is a lot harder to root for a team when they're... And take it from someone who grew up in Cleveland, it is harder to root for a team that is constantly <laughs> the underdog and, and like, you know, it has lived through a winless season or yes. more than a few. But um, <laughs> to, to, to be people of God is in some ways like that... I'm in relationship with you even when it looks like everything is falling apart and I... You haven't rewarded me with some good thing to make mm-hmm. me happy. That God isn't buying us off with ponies and prizes, and that's why we say God's holy. But that God's being is good, or is blessed, or is worthy of being praised, even in the times when it feels like everything else is coming unglued. Um, and that, and that's an important piece to remember too. It it, um, it reminds me that um, part of the reason that I think that in in Israel's life, so many of of, of those traditional prayers of Israel and then of of modern Judaism begin with those words that get translated, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, uh, is this reminder, it's sort of like a reorientation of who God is, so that whatever else is going on, like this is who we're calling Mm -hmm. on, this is the relationship, this is who God is, and that God remains this constant even when everything else, I mean, and it's funny too, funny in a way that things can be profound and funny, how many prayers in um, Jewish tradition and Hebrew um, whatever the rest of the subject is, it all starts with that. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the Universe, because you give us the grapes and the the, the wheat that become mm-hmm. you know, our food, or you give us rain and you give me like it's mm-hmm. whatever else. God, the the God who is you know the King of the Universe, the Melech uh is is the one that we are praying to, is, is the one on whom we're calling, um, and that's an important idea that, that God remains constant in in a, in a world that is constantly changing and up and down mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. That part of God's holiness, part of what makes God weird too, is God's faithfulness and constantness uh, in a world that is so changeable and constantly in flux. And Steve, you know, this idea of reminding ourselves of God's holiness as we're praying this prayer takes me back to the first episode where we started talking about our Father and how Mm -hmm. we spent a lot of time talking about that word Father and how it can carry a lot of weight in our culture. And yet this prayer is not to say that you know, when we say our father at the beginning of this prayer, it, it's not a comparison to our earthly father's good, bad, or, sure, or sure, indifferent. Sure. Um, but a, as a reminder, once again, yes, God is faithful. God loves us. It's more a reminder that God is that loving parent that we all should have. Mm-hmm. And the fact that human parents rarely, if ever, completely live up to that yeah. is not to say that the the metaphor never works. It's to say, in okay, you get the idea how the meta, how, how the word is supposed to work, what it means to be a father. Okay, that's the gist. Similarly, when we get to talking about God's kingdom, every other kingdom or nation or whatever, the, I mean, that analogy works. Falls short. Falls short. But okay, mm-hmm. there's going to be something we'll have to talk about next time about what that means and why that metaphor is useful or helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, we, we've surprisingly, yet again, had more than a half hour's worth of conversation <laughs> over what are four words in English, hallowed be your name. But these are deep and, and these, are, these, are, these are rich words mm-hmm. uh, and important. So we hope the conversation has been helpful for you, or at least maybe begun to help us all to think more deeply about words that we may have been rattling off without thinking about them for a long time. So join us next time as we'll dig further into the Lord's Prayer. See you guys.